Today on the Heartland Community Church Podcast, guest teacher Susie Gomez brings part six of the series titled Desert Sessions. This message is titled, Lord, Send Your Rain. Good morning, Heartland. Good morning. Clearly, I came up here a little early and had to stand up here awkwardly for about 30 seconds. But um, <clears throat> thank you for welcoming me once again. Uh, it's always a joy to be here with you. Last time that I was here in person, it was February 14th, and you all gave me such a warm welcome uh, with a side of snowstorm and sub-zero temperatures, but it's okay. I'm not mad at you. I'm here again. Um, but I also want to thank you for making it so easy for me to choose my wardrobe this morning. Uh, this hoodie has become my favorite since I got it last time that I was here. And uh, apparently there is a new edition that has rolled out since I last came. So I, I actually ironically came during the Out of Style series and I'm already kind of feeling out of style. But, but, but I see that there's family here still rocking the same sweatshirts as me. So thank you. I feel like I'm right at home right now. Um, <clears throat> but let's just start with a word of prayer. Will you, will you join me? God, we just want to quiet ourselves right now before you. As we enter into a time of worship through hearing the word, God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see. And as a result of the things that we hear, God, we pray that you would give us the courage to obey, to act upon the things that we hear. God, we pray that you would... Help us to receive the truth that you have for us today. God, help us to quiet out the distractions. Help us to be here because we want to meet with you. Help us, Lord, to leave transformed because we've allowed the Holy Spirit to meet with us. We've drawn near to you and you've drawn near to us. So God, have your way in these next 20 minutes or so and as we worship out um, and as we lead into Holy Week next week, give us ears to ear, hear, eyes to see, and hearts to obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 63.1 says, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Some of us hear these words and you can resonate with the psalmist because maybe that's where you've been at. As we've been going through this desert series, maybe this has been a really good series for you because it's been giving words to some of the things that you've been feeling, but you can't quite find the words for. And sometimes we just need to go back to the text. Sometimes the Psalms is a really good place to go because it gives words to what we're feeling. And, and, you know, the Bible even assures us that sometimes when we don't have the words for what we're feeling, all of those intense feelings that we don't know how to associate with words, it says that the Spirit will intercede on our behalf. And so I hope that throughout this desert session series that God has been meeting with you because we've been learning God has not abandoned you in the desert some of you 
can resonate with this feeling. My heart and my soul feels weary. So it's fitting to look at scriptures like this when you're in a series called the Desert Sessions. But the thing is, today is also Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday, if you're not familiar with what it is, it's, it's a day when we commemorate or, or remember Jesus' triumphal entry. It's sort of this time where we, where we celebrate. Like if you look back on what Palm Sunday was like, uh, let's go to John 12. John 12, verses 12 to 13. I'll give you a picture of what, what Palm Sunday looked like. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. And it says, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival. And they had heard that Jesus was on his way into Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. This is the triumphal entry. So, so what does desert sessions have to do with the triumphal entry? They almost seem like two paradoxical thoughts. They seem like two, two things, two emotions, two feelings, two occasions that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. There's seasons of wandering in the desert where there's hardship and suffering. And then there's celebration when people greet Jesus with, with praise and they lay down cloaks before him. What do these two have to do with each other? So here on Palm Sunday, people knew where Jesus was. In fact, a great crowd had gathered to welcome him. They had their palm branches and they laid down their cloaks. This was sort of the ancient way of rolling out the red carpet. This was signifying that Jesus was royalty and he deserved this kind of entrance. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And then there's desert sessions. You know, the thing that signifies a desert, the, the, the trademark characteristic of a desert is that it's void of water. There's not a lot of rain in the desert. So yeah, it makes sense to make the desert a, a symbol of thirst and struggle, but what does it have to do with Palm Sunday? Here's the thing that I found, and I think it's really interesting. Did you know that the word Hosanna was originally a word of supplication, and it means, come to our aid. I beg you to save. Please deliver us. It's a plea. And the priests, on the, the seventh day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, they would march around the altar seven times. And seven times in a monotone voice, they would yell out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this was an urgent prayer, get this, for rain. I love when things come together like this. Here we are talking about desert sessions where it feels like there's no water. And we close it out on Palm Sunday where we remember the time when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the people shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Help us, save us, deliver us. Send your rain. This was the cry of the people who were longing for God. They were thirsting for the living God. And, and though Jesus rode in with a lot of fanfare and celebration, as Jesus rode in on a donkey, a colt, it was a symbol of peace. 
And it was a sign of both Jesus' royalty and his humility. The crowds had no clue of all the suffering and hardship that, that lay just ahead for Jesus. As we talk about desert sessions, I actually am feeling really thirsty myself. Can I grab my bottle of water real quick? So I tried to push through, but thank you. Thank you, Carrington. <clears throat> this is just an object lesson here. I planned this. Um, so Jesus, they, they had no clue that Jesus was about to enter into this terrible time of suffering in the next week. Uh, Jesus was about to go into his own desert time. Many things were about to happen over the course of the next few days. And even before Jesus rode into Jerusalem, as this triumphal entry is happening, Jesus looks out over the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep. He begins to lament even as he's riding through and people are giving him this praise, this, this triumphal entry. He begins to weep and lament over the city of Jerusalem because he knows of the hardship and the suffering that lay ahead for them as well. Within that week, a lot of things happened. Jesus goes into the temple and he gets so angry. He gets so angry because they had turned his father's house into a den of robbers. Jesus saw the injustice and he got angry. He overturned tables. He took out a whip and he cleared it out. Jesus felt the things. Jesus was about to be questioned by the authorities. He had already gotten a lot of scrutiny from people, but he was further being questioned by the authorities. He was then betrayed by one of his disciples after he had served them. He, he anguished in the garden. He was arrested. He was denied. He was unjustly tried. He was sentenced to death. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was brutalized. He was mocked. He was abandoned, crucified, dead, and buried. It was a hell of a week. But like the Israelites who wandered for years in the desert, Jesus had to go through the desert in order to get to the promised land. More distinctly, Jesus had to go through the desert in order to get us to the eternal promised land. Some of the last words that Jesus said as he hung on the cross just before he died, some of his last words were, I thirst. Now there's many reasons why Jesus might have said this. Some people say that it was simply just to, to, to show his, his humanity. Jesus was fully God as he would demonstrate after he was raised from the dead three, three days later. But he was also fully human. He was so human that he felt suffering in his body. He felt pain in his heart. And he even felt thirsty. When Jesus said, I thirst, they gave him this specific drink. And all of this was also just a fulfillment of many prophecies that had been made about him. But I also wonder if Jesus said, I thirst, because as he took on our sin and our punishment, he was about to be separated from the Father. And just like the psalmist who was searching for God, Jesus also longed for God's presence. His thirst signified that he was about to be apart from God for a moment. I also want to go back to this idea that Jesus had to go through the desert in order to get us to the eternal promised land. 
See, when you're thirsty, it means you're dehydrated. It means that uh, water has left your body, and thirst is a sign to replenish it, to give it water. And as Jesus said, I thirst, he was being poured out as a drink offering for us. He is the living water. He's the invitation to all who are thirsty. He's the one who can satisfy our thirst eternally so that we will never thirst again. That's worthy of a clap. Go on, come on, don't be shy. And so when Jesus says, I thirst, he's pouring himself out for us so that our thirst would be quenched. He's sending rain. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now this is reason for celebration. This is what made Good Friday good even though it was terrible. This is what made Jesus' triumphal entry triumphant even though he was about to face death on a cross. You know, all these paradoxes, the good paired with the bad. This is what makes being desert people a blessing. You have to go through the desert to get to the promised land. You know, desert people, like people who literally live in the desert, uh, like the Bedouin people of the Arabic deserts, they're, they're nomads. This means they don't stay in one place. They're always on the move. They're always on the move because they're in search of water. They know as desert people, they can't stay in one place forever. They have to keep it pushing. You can't stay in one place forever. You were never meant to stay in one place forever. Not here in this desert at least. You have to go through the desert to get to the promised land. See, this earth as it is now, before Jesus comes and makes everything new and as it should be, it was never meant to be our forever home. We're not supposed to be utterly satisfied with earth as it is now. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life abundant, that did not mean that there was not going to be suffering and hardship here on earth. Steve told us about that conversation that he had with the rabbi who told him, you Americans tend to think that we should spend the majority of our lives in the promised land. Where in reality, the majority of our lives should maybe be spent in the desert. I wonder if this is because God designed it so that our thirst for him would never grow thin. I remember a friend telling me about how, how concerned she felt over a, a friend that was in her small group. She said they started having this conversation one night about heaven. And, and, and this one guy and a couple of other people actually had said, yeah, you know, I, I don't think I really get what the big deal about heaven is. I don't know why people make such a big fuss over it. I mean, he shared about how life was really good. And he, he really had nothing to complain about. Now, I'm not saying that that's a terrible place to be in. Because maybe this guy was just really good at, at being content in any circumstance. I mean, maybe he was really taking to heart, be joyful in all circumstances. And in that moment, he was in a good place. So I'm not hating on him for that. But, but what she picked up on over the course of that conversation was that it seemed like he was just so comfortable with his life. He was so comfortable with the things of this world that the things of this world were quenching his thirst in a way that had him fooled. 
You know, I keep thinking about that quote that Charmant dropped a couple of weeks ago in his message. He was actually quoting Eric, uh, but Charmant, I heard it through Charmant, so I'm just going to double credit people here, okay? It was a good quote. Um, it, it, it was the line that said, when we get out of bondage and when we're in the desert, sometimes those chains can begin to look like jewelry. <laughs> Ooh, that was worth quoting twice. Sometimes those chains begin to look like jewelry. Listen, I'm going to build off of that, and I'm going to say this. Jesus, he came to bring us out of captivity, and he, he came to show us how to walk through the desert. But if we get too used to living life in the desert here on earth, we might settle for a mirage, and we might get fooled into thinking that the eternal promised land is something that we can even fathom. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.9. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Eternity. Heaven. Being in the presence of Jesus is far greater than anything that we can imagine. And anything here on earth is like an arid, dried up desert in comparison. I wonder if we really believe this in the core of our being. I wonder if we have that kind of thirst for the eternal promised land. And the eternal promised land is not just a place that is is streets paved with gold and pearly gates and fluffy clouds and food galore. It's a place that is so amazing, so wonderful, so thirst quenching because we are with the very person that our soul thirsts for. Jesus is what makes eternity so amazing. If you forget about Jesus, I don't think you have an understanding of what heaven is all about. So being in the presence of Jesus is what our soul thirsts for. Now, I'm not saying that we have to hate this earth and just stay in a place of longing for heaven constantly. Um, We don't have to be in that place where we're thinking about heaven so much that we're of no earthly good, right? Now, longing for the promised land is not an excuse to not work, to bring justice and shalom to our cities. No, I think, I absolutely think that being kingdom citizens involves bearing witness to the goodness of God through things like loving the poor, fighting injustice, fighting racism, welcoming the stranger, and being a sanctuary people. We pray as Jesus did, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We want God to bring heaven here. But the world, this earth, can so often feel like a giant desert, an incredibly inhospitable place. The desert is an inhospitable place. This is why you have to keep moving. Now, I don't want to make this next part about me at all. But if I can speak to this idea of fighting to be hospitable people in inhospitable places, I want to point out something that I and a lot of my fellow Asian American brothers and sisters are feeling right now. Uh, I know that some people think that the media has exaggerated things and that things have been so conflated that you can't seem to have a a conversation about racism without thinking that it's been tainted by politics. But I just want to talk to you from my own experience. 
Many of us are hurting right now. Many of us in the Asian American community feel unsafe and unwelcome here in America. Even those of us who are fully American, feeling invisible, perpetually otherized, and considered a foreigner, even if you were born here, these things aren't new. I would have to stand here for days if I were to share with you the stories that I've heard just over the course of the past year to people within my own family and friends within the Asian American community. We're not making these things up, but we often don't speak up about them. Just yesterday, heartbreakingly, a friend of mine sent me a message and said, you know what happened to my son in school last week? He had a classmate tell him, you look like a monkey with Down syndrome. Go back to China. These kind of things aren't made up, but we don't like to talk about them. We don't like making people feel uncomfortable. But since the start of COVID, there has been a huge spike in racially motivated violent crimes against people of Asian descent. You don't have to stretch your ima imagination very far to uh, understand reasons for why this might be. And I don't think you have to imagine too hard why sayings like the China virus or Kung flu feel hurtful and damaging to us. It's been devastating to see countless videos of Asian people, particularly the elderly, grandmothers and grandfathers, get violently attacked on the streets. You know, again, I'm just speaking from my own perspective here. When we heard the news about that shooting that happened in Atlanta, when we heard that six of those eight people who were killed were Asian women, and that it happened at massage parlors or spas, we knew, we knew that it was an attack on our Asian sisters. These women in the mind of the killer were a problem that he wanted to get rid of. See, Asian folks have been targets of hate crimes and violence, being blamed for the spread of a global pandemic, and nearly 4,000 hate crimes against Asian Americans have been reported. And those are just the ones that went reported. It's not an easy time for Asian Americans to hold our heads up high and walk in confidence. It kind of feels like a desert season for some of us. But you know, like so many hard things in life, I don't know how people do it without Jesus. You know, if I wasn't rocking my favorite hoodie right now, I'd be wearing another sweater that I, I wear at home a lot these days. Uh, Across it, it says, phenomenally Asian. And I, I know that that might sound a little um, braggadocious to people. It might sound like a prideful statement to some people, especially from, from an Asian person coming from a culture that, uh, that frowns upon bragging about yourself. But you know, I want to say I've learned a lot from the black community. The black community has taught us that there's power in celebrating who you are Amen. in the face of opposition. Black is beautiful. Black girl magic. Black boy joy. Black excellence. Phenomenally black. All of these statements hold so much power because it comes from a people who know historically that there has been a lot of opposing forces against them. And so when you can say with power and stand against lies of the enemy and say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you st steal my joy. I'm not going to let you 
press down upon my identity. I know who I am in Christ. And when you center these things in knowing who you are in Christ, knowing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, knowing that you are more than a conqueror, knowing that you bear his image, there is so much power in statements like that. You are celebrating who you are in Christ. So how do people get through hard things without the Lord? I don't know. And I don't want to know what it's like to have to suffer alone. But you know, there are so many people in this world who still do not know the truth. That there is an almighty advocate, a comforter, a giver of strength, a, a prince of peace that wants them to draw near to him so he can draw near to them. Part of our calling as desert people is to walk through the desert and show other people where to find water. So let's fight to be hospitable people. Everybody always. I love that mural that's out there. I love that. And I pray that Heartland would be an extension, an embodiment of this message. Everybody always. That, that this message would reverberate across the country. Can you imagine the revival that would happen if God's people really became such a, a hospitable people in an inhospitable world? People are thirsty for this kind of revival. We ought to be praying constantly, Hosanna, 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 send your rain, Lord. We want to give people just a taste of what eternity will look like. No eye has seen and no ear has heard, but we get glimpses of God's goodness. We are embodiments of God's goodness, and we want to lead people to water. Now, over the course of this last year, I know a lot of us have gone through hardship and suffering. A lot of us have lost loved ones to COVID. Over half a million have lost their lives to COVID in the U.S. alone. My father-in-law went to be with Jesus just a, a few months ago. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And within six months of that time, he was sent home and, and uh, he was put on hospice care so that he could pass peacefully with his family. My husband, Marcos, uh, flew to be at his bedside while I was at home with our four kids. And he FaceTimed me. And it was just Marcos and, and his father. My father-in-law, Reverend Santiago Gomez, loved to worship. He was the type who would pick up his guitar and sing for hours. He had so much joy in worshiping before the Lord. And so my husband FaceTimed me and he said, Susie, will you, do, will you do something with me? I just want to take this time to pray over my dad. And then after we prayed, we sang a few songs. Neither my husband or I are, are great singers. We're not going to be up here like Carrington leading you all in worship. But there's something really special when you can lead a person to water when they can't drink themselves. What I remember about that time of worship together, my father-in-law had such little strength. This was actually just a couple of hours before he died. His mouth was so dry. He was so thirsty, but he barely had the strength to swallow his own spit, let alone sing. And so we did for him what he didn't have the strength to do. 
We sang with him. We sang for him. We sang over him. And in those last moments, before he went to go be with Jesus forever, we sang the song, soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. And he couldn't sing those songs with us. But I saw it in his eyes. I saw that this was the deepest longing of his heart. He wanted to go be with Jesus, the only one that could quench his thirst forever. And then just a couple of hours later, he crossed over to that place where he would never thirst again. May we never stop thirsting for Jesus. May we never stop asking him to send rain. May we never stop shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, send your rain. And may we be people who can lead other people to the water. Can we pray? The only words that seem appropriate right now are Hosanna. It is both a triumphant, a triumphant declaration, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and you deserve a king's entry. But Jesus, we also recognize that you were the humble king. You came through riding on a donkey. You came through as the Prince of Peace. You came as the suffering servant. You came as the one who walked through the desert. You came as the one to free us from our captivity, but you also walked with us in the desert and you showed us how it should be done. God, as we continue to walk through this earth and as we will continue to see seasons where it will feel dry and weary, God, we pray that we will never stop searching for water. May you always be the thing that we thirst for the most. And God, may we always hold on to the promise, Lord, that you will satisfy us, Lord, like nothing in this world can. May we remember that no eye has seen, no ear has heard the, the amazing things that you have prepared for us. But God, as we hold on to that hope, God, may we be dealers of hope. May we be bearers of good news. May we tell those who are suffering, there is good news. There is a king that loves you with an everlasting love. There is a prince of peace that can guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus with a peace that the world cannot understand. There is an advocate. There is, there is an intercessor. There is one that promises never to leave nor forsake you. There is one that is both powerful and gentle, loving and strong. There is one that knows your name. There is one that knows the number of hairs on your head, knows every thought that you think, even when you don't have words for it. There is one that is with you always. And there is one that wants to be with you for eternity and has shown you the way. 
So God, be glorified, not only just in Holy Week next week, but in our lives until we go to be with you for eternity. God, be glorified in our lives. Here we are. Send us. Have your way in us. And we ask that it would all be done to your glory. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to guest teacher Susie Gomez with part six of the series titled Desert Sessions. You can experience the entire online service by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page or go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford. You can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.